We're looking at uh, the fourth chapter of Daniel, as Aiden and Josh read for us. Um, Josh, you also did a great job, but Aiden particularly, really, really great. So, but as we're looking at this chapter of Daniel, we, we're looking at uh, just, it's a fun chapter. I like that it falls on, on Family Worship Sunday. It's a, it's a story about a king who becomes an animal, who learns about God. There are visions and trees being chopped down by watchers from heaven. Just a, just a great, great story for us to, to deal with this morning. Uh, but let's, let's make sure we understand that this is a chapter that's, that is the king's, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's story of conversion. That's his report of what God did in his life and how God changed him. So this is a, a testimony in a sense. Um, now, you thought this was long for a testimony. You should have seen the rough draft that he started with before he went to the 2-7 navigator training and they... <laughs> They were able to get it down to 37 verses. This is, this is what God did in the king's life. And, and I think we'll find a lot of parallels with our own lives. We'll see how, how we can relate. And this whole chapter is really about pride and humility. Pride and humility. And that applies to all of us. How, no matter what our age is, whether we're young or old, we're all dealing with pride and seeking humility in our lives. Now, the context of the book, if you haven't been with us and haven't followed this series, we're looking at the book of Daniel as a paradigm for our lives today. We're looking at uh, this life in exile uh, as Christians find themselves today in a culture that is pagan, that is hostile to, to the gospel. And so we're trying to figure out how to navigate this life. And this paradigm of life in exile, like Daniel, who was taken out of Jerusalem and placed in Babylon and is, in fact, um, working in the very structures of the pagan empire that conquered Jerusalem. How do we navigate our culture today while remaining faithful to Christ? We don't want to compromise our faith. On the other hand, we don't want to isolate ourselves and become useless in how God may use us for others. So we're looking at this particular contrast today between two mindsets, two lifestyles, pride and humility. As we Christians learn to live in this culture, we are to call the world to humility. So our sermon in a sentence is, we call the world to humility. So let's all say it together so we can remember. We call the world to humility. Okay, my outline is simple. We have three points. First, we'll consider Daniel, a man who lived like a man in humility. Secondly, we'll look at Nebuchadnezzar, a man who lived like God in his pride. And finally, we'll look at God who became a man. So while uh, this chapter is largely about Nebuchadnezzar, I want to start with Daniel. Daniel is a believer who's been converted. He's, He's living his life faithfully before God, and his life is marked by humility. He lived like a man in a sense that he lived like a true human being because humility is the essence of true humanity. To be human, to be truly human, is to be humble. Now we'll see in a few minutes that Nebuchadnezzar lived based on a false idea of who God was and of who he was. He was a man, he was a human being, but he lived like God or tried to live like God. 
But Daniel lived a truly human life. Daniel knew who God was, and he knew who he was, and he knew, he knew who he was in relation to God. And that's humility, it's to know who you are, to know who God is, and to live properly in relation to God. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that God was in charge through a very difficult season in his life. But Daniel already lived his life under God's rule. Now, if you remember when, when in Genesis, when God created human beings, it tells us that he's, he made us in his image. So by God's design, we reflect who he is and we represent God to his creation. So our being and our purpose are derived from God. This is how we were made. This is who we are. This is what humanity means. We are to live in a relationship with God who made us. We are to live accomplishing His purposes on His behalf for the good of His creation. Now, Daniel understood that. Daniel saw himself as being made in God's image, and he lived his life reflecting and representing God to others. Now, we see that in our text, in, in, in the way he interacts with the king, in the way that he, the kind of values he promotes through his work, we see that he's really representing and reflecting God. So, for example, in verse 19, when the king tells him the dream, this, this awful, scary dream of a tree, giant tree being chopped down by, by some angelic being, he tells him his dream, Daniel understands that the dream is about the king, who will lose, at least temporarily, he will lose his kingdom and undergo this, this really tough season in his life. And so Daniel is hesitant to interpret the meaning of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Did you see that in the text in verse 19? He's, he's not ready to jump in and, and tell that Nebuchadnezzar is going to suffer. Now that's weird because Nebuchadnezzar is the emperor who took Daniel out of his city, who destroyed Judah. Nebuchadnezzar is the cause of suffering for all true believers at this time. And yet, Daniel is compassionate towards this king. There's, a, there's some warmth in that relationship. There, there is a relationship there. And he's head and he says, let, let this be for your enemies. Let this not be for you. Now, how can an exile from Jerusalem that should hold Nebuchadnezzar responsible for all his suffering and pain, be so compassionate towards the king? Why is Daniel concerned with the king's feelings here? I think it's because he is reflecting God. Because God is concerned with people he created. Even though these same people have set their hearts against him, God is concerned for us. And so Daniel, reflecting who God is, reflecting God's steadfast love, His grace, His mercy towards us, he too is concerned for this evil pagan king who caused so much suffering to God's people. And then in verse 27, Daniel says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So not only is Daniel concerned about 
Nebuchadnezzar's life and wants him to be to humble himself before God humbles him. Daniel's, Daniel's is also concerned about the oppressed people in Babylon. So he takes this opportunity to say, you, O king, take this opportunity to restore justice to the oppressed, to show mercy to those who are suffering in your empire. Why? Why, why is he telling the king to do that? Because Daniel is representing God who desires justice and mercy in human societies. So you see the contrast. You see Daniel who lives like a man in true humanity. He's actually reflecting the image of God that's in him. He's representing God. He's seeking God's purposes. He's even able to express love and compassion towards a pagan king. That's humility. He knows his place. He knows where he belongs in God's creation. And then, of course, you see Nebuchadnezzar who acts like God. And we'll look at him in just a minute. I like the way Micah 6 verse 8 summarizes this lifestyle of humility. Micah 6 verse 8. For some of us, it's a familiar passage. God has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God? This is humility. God is summarizing for us, what is your life about? It's to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's true humanity. Made in God's image, we're supposed to know who God is, we're supposed to know who we are, and we're supposed to live in that reality. That's, that's what it means to be truly human. That is not how Nebuchadnezzar lived. He did not walk humbly with God. He was a man who lived like God. He thought he was God, and he acted like it. And this is what pride is. Pride is simply thinking and acting like God. And pride is the essence of our sin. That's the essence of our problem. Now, remember the first sin in the garden. The serpent uh, tempted Eve by promising her that when she eats the fruit that God has forbidden, when she eats the fruit, she would be like God. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the core of our problem. That's pride. It's a human being who's made in God's image, made to reflect and represent God to creation, says, I will be like God. I will dethrone God. I will take on the role of a ruler of the universe. That's, that's what pride is. That's how Nebuchadnezzar lived. I mean, this is also the same sin that is attributed to Satan in Scripture. Satan wanted to ascend to heaven, set his throne on high, and make himself like the most high God. Pride is, is devilish, is satanic, it's, it's, it's inhuman. True humanity is always going to be connected with humility, with knowing who you are before God and walking humbly with him. But pride is accepting and usurping the place of God in our lives and in God's creation. Now, you already see the contrast between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. They live very different lives based on very different ideas of what, what it means to be human. Daniel lives in humility under God's rule, but Nebuchadnezzar wanted to rule like God. 
you've, you've already worked through, this is chapter 4 of Daniel. This is not the first time we meet Nebuchadnezzar. He already saw the example of Daniel uh, remaining faithful to Christ. He already had a dream. But remember, the dream of the statue, the dream that, that tells him that your kingdom will fall apart, but God's kingdom is eternal. Why don't you consider God as the right ruler of the universe? He already had that experience. He already had the experience of throwing three people into the furnace who would rather die than worship his idol and them being miraculously delivered from the fiery furnace. Do you remember that? And he was completely impressed by that, by that miracle. So my question is, why isn't he converted yet? Why isn't Nebuchadnezzar converted yet? He's had these great experiences with God. He knows about God. He, he knows what God is like, I think, in some ways. He's seen God work around him. And yet, not until chapter 4 does Nebuchadnezzar acknowledge God as the Most High, as the one who rules even over him. Conversions don't happen until we encounter God, until it becomes personal to us, until our pride is exposed, until our, our pride is destroyed. What stands in our way between us and God is always our pride. It's always our pride. And no matter how much you experience God's miracles, God's truth, God's people, God's beauty in the world, it doesn't matter until you are willing to give up your pride and humble yourself before God. It's not until then that you actually experience true humanity. God gives the king another dream, and praise God that he doesn't give up on us, that he continues to speak to us as he does to Nebuchadnezzar. He already had one dream. He already had one miracle. Now there's another dream, but the meaning is the same. It's a different dream, but the meaning is the same. The meaning is submit to God and acknowledge that heaven rules, that you're not in charge, that you are not God, but that God is God, and submit to him. Daniel interprets this dream of a giant tree that's being cut down. Daniel interprets it for the king in verses 24 and through 26. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed to you from the time that you know that heaven rules. God says, I will create circumstances in your life where you will have to see me as your ruler. You will be humbled, and you will give up your pride, and you will see that heaven rules, and then, and only then, will your kingdom be restored to you. Now that's the dream. Daniel says God is trying to break through to you, through your pride. He will take your kingdom away from you for a time, and you will live like an animal for a time so that you can learn that God is in charge. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do in response to this? 
nothing. He does absolutely nothing. The text tells us that 12 months pass by. A whole year goes by that he knows about the dream. Two dreams now. Daniel has interpreted the dream to him. He knows what the dream means. And he does absolutely nothing for a year. He persists in his pride and defiance of God's rule. Now look at verse 30. Nebuchadnezzar comes out on the roof of his palace and he says, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Now Babylon was majestic. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Great in architecture, great in, in, in military defenses, great in culture, the Hanging Gardens, one of the ancient uh, wonders of the world. Nebuchadnezzar did an amazing thing, but he attributes all of it to himself and remains in his pride, even though he has this dream where God says, I will humble you and you will recognize that you are not in charge, but I am, he still remains committed to his pride. Now, look at the definition of pride we get from this little speech that he gives on the roof of the palace. I think it's a perfect description of pride. By my power and for my glory. By my power and for my glory. By me and for me. Humility, on the other hand, is the opposite. It's by God and for God. By his power and for his glory. But Nebuchadnezzar says, all of this is my accomplishment, and it is for me, for my glory. What is your mindset in life? As we begin to apply this to our lives, how do you process your reality? Do you look at your life and you say, this is by me and for me? I have done this for myself. Or do you consider that maybe God has been involved in your life? Maybe the skills that you've used to accomplish what you have accomplished were given to you by God. Maybe the family that you were born into that gave you privileges in life were given to you by God. Maybe the education that you received was available to you at this time in this culture because God has placed you here. Maybe opportunities you received in life were given to you providentially by God. And all that you've done, maybe it isn't really for you. But maybe it is to exalt God and to bless other people. What is your mindset? Do you live a truly human life where you acknowledge that everything around you has been done by God and for God, and you're an instrument, a representative, an ambassador of God? Or do you look at it and say, this has all been done by me and for me, and I am God? You see the contrast in the chapter, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Now let's see what God does with Nebuchadnezzar. In his mercy, God doesn't let Nebuchadnezzar remain in his pride. So God intervenes. Immediately, the dream is fulfilled and the king experiences a season of temporary insanity. We can speculate what it was exactly, what kind of illness was it. There's scientific basis for the speculation. But the point is that God makes him act like an animal for a time. God does this. 
God humbles him. God intervenes and God teaches him humility. And so the king lives like a beast for seven periods of time. Maybe seven years. I think maybe most likely, more likely, seven periods of time, seven seasons. So maybe seven seasons, three and a half years, maybe something like that. But it's a long time. He stays outside. He eats grass like an ox. His hair and his nails grow long. He avoids other people. It was long enough for Nebuchadnezzar to realize that heaven rules, that he is not in charge, that his kingdom can be taken away from him just like that. How many of us trust our health and we make plans and we say, well, when I'm 60, I will do that. When I'm 70, I will do that. When I'm 40, I'll be able to less work and I'll be able to travel more. We make these plans and at any moment in our lives, as many of us have learned, your health can just go and you won't be able to do any of those things you've planned. Who's in control of this? Well, certainly not me. Nebuchadnezzar learns that heaven rules, that he is under God's charge, under God's rule. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So Nebuchadnezzar goes through a season of intense humiliation because this is the only way for his pride to be exposed and healed. He loses his humanity because he reached for divinity. Now, have you wondered why God turns Nebuchadnezzar into an animal? I'm sure God could have used many other ways to humiliate this king. And yet God chooses to make him act like an animal for a time to show him something about true humanity, something about humility. I think what God was showing Nebuchadnezzar and what we need to see today as well is that pride actually destroys our humanity. Pride is extremely dangerous and it robs us of what it means to be truly human. By its very nature, pride is inhuman and it turns us into animals. I think in some ways what God is doing here is, is he's showing Nebuchadnezzar, if you persist in your pride, this is what pride will turn you into. Eventually, you will lose all of your humanity because humanity is essentially connected to humility. I don't want to take a long time on this, but I want to give you a couple of uh, kind of trains of thought to, to maybe pique your interest, to be thinking about it, to talk about it in your small groups. That, that pride actually makes us like animals. So for example, pride robs us of joy. Did you know this? Proud people think they're the most joyful people, and they aren't. Because if you only think, if you think that you're right all the time, that everything that happens in your life is owed to you, how can you be joyful? You're only responding to circumstances in your life. And so you can only be happy when things go the way you want things to to go. That is exactly how animals live. Animals live on instinct. They can be satisfied with food, but they can never be happy in bad circumstances. And that's what pride does for us. It robs us of joy. 
it, it robs us of self-awareness, for example. Nebuchadnezzar is living hair long, nails long, dirty, outside, rain falls on him, and he's not aware of that. Well, if you think you're right all the time, you're not aware of yourself. You're not aware of what's happening around you, how other people perceive you. Pride robs us of that human quality. We're not able to assess ourselves and thus change if we're proud. If I already believe that I am right, if I already believe I am the right, rightful ruler of my life and ruler of the universe, how can I change? Why would I change? So there's no moral assessment that I can use on myself. There's no potential for change, which is a, a specific, distinct human quality. We're not able to, to make moral decisions. It robs us of freedom. All these things are taken away from us by pride. Now, we see it in part now. But if we persist in our pride, we will become completely like animals. And God is showing that to Nebuchadnezzar. He's showing that to us. He's warning us. He's saying this is what pride does. It robs you of humanity. To be truly human is to be humble. And Nebuchadnezzar learns how destructive and dangerous pride is. Let me illustrate this by turning to Ethan Hawke. Were you expecting this twist in the sermon? This is the kind of hard-hitting biblical exposition that you get at Chatham Bible Churches. I thought first, why am I quoting Ethan Hawke? And I was thinking, he's an actor. Um, and I'm thinking, maybe I'm trying to appeal to the kids in the service, but he's probably 50 years old. So I don't know if this is going to relate to any of the children. But he's, he's, he's an interesting person, and he is able to reflect on his own life in a way that I think is profoundly truthful. In an interview, um, Ethan Hawke uh, shared his thoughts on surviving fame as a young actor. You know, if you remember, if you followed his career, he's very popular very early in his life. And so there were a lot of kids that were also actors, also got very popular, child actors, teen actors, and notoriously, those young actors have a lot of trouble in life. And so somebody asked Ethan Hawke how he was able to avoid making a total disaster of his life, being so famous so early in his life. And, and Hawke said, egos are ferocious creatures, and they can destroy our lives if we don't keep them in check. Egos are ferocious creatures, and they can destroy our lives if we don't keep them in check. He knows something about life. What he's saying is that it's not the drugs and the alcohol and the car crashes and the toxic relationships and greed that killed a lot of his friends who lost their lives early on because of their experience of fame. He knows that what really killed them was pride. He knows that pride makes us into ferocious creatures that turn on themselves. He knows that pride destroys our humanity and that the only remedy for that is humility. To survive is to become humble. And he was commenting on a friendship with another actor. He said, uh, we were always reminding each other how lucky it was to be in the seat we're in and how we don't deserve to be here. Now, do you see the, the reaching for humility? 
of a young actor who's realizing that pride is dangerous, and he's saying, we need to remember we don't belong here. We didn't deserve this. This isn't ours. That's not by us and for us. And instinctively, and I don't know where he's at. I don't know faith-wise where, where he's at. I don't know if he's really learned his lesson now. I don't know that. But he's saying something that is profoundly true, that pride destroys us. It, it, it strips us of humanity. But humility builds us up. Humility allows us to survive and not become a casualty in life. Do you see how dangerous pride is and how life-giving humility is? Not until Nebuchadnezzar looked up toward heaven, away from himself, that he was restored and healed. He had to recognize that pride was going to destroy him and he had to look to God. He had to look away from himself and become humble to survive. Now praise God that he does not leave us in our pride. If you dare to question God's divinity, he might just remind you of how fragile your humanity is. If you dare to act like the ruler of the universe, God might just remind you of who really is in charge. Now listen to one commentator talking about these difficult experiences in life that teach us humility. He says, this is an important point for us to recognize in our own experience. Discontent and disaster, or at least profound personal discomfort, are very often the necessary precursors of spiritual growth and change. As long as we are comfortable and at ease in this world, We are not normally ready to examine our hearts and institute deep changes. On the other hand, when God disturbs the calm waters of our lives, we begin to be ready to seek different paths to pursue. Is it often when our career career hopes are dashed or our marriage relationship is in shreds or the doctor announces that we only have a few more months to live, that we are finally persuaded to become serious about spiritual things. If that is true, however, it suggests that we should approach these troubled times of our lives with a far more positive outlook than we normally do. These shattering experiences should prompt within us the expectation and hope that God is going to do something important in our lives. It is precisely through the storms of life that God will show us who we really are, and even more importantly, who He really is. Now let's pause and, and ask ourselves, is that how we experience suffering in life? Are we expectant to learn more about our humanity and to learn more about God's divinity when difficult things happen in our lives? Nebuchadnezzar went through an awful experience, awful experience. But through that experience, he became more human. Through that experience, he met God. No miracle worked. No dream worked for him. But a season of personal humiliation by God through suffering, through pain, worked. And he met God and he was transformed. He became a new man. But to become a new man, he had to be an animal first. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing for us to consider that when God brings suffering to our lives, that maybe, just maybe, 
What he's actually doing is he's teaching us about our true humanity. What he's doing, he's actually saving us from our pride. So next time, or maybe right now as you're dealing with suffering, please consider that maybe God is behind it all and God is saving you from your pride and God is teaching you humility and God is teaching you to become more truly human. Now, are you a proud person? Am I a really proud person? Do I really know who I am? Do I really know who God is? Am I living a truly human life? Or am I slowly turning more and more into an animal because of my pride? Have I recognized that heaven rules? Or am I still living as if I am the one in charge? Am I thankful for seasons of suffering and humiliation because they teach me humility and they cure me from the dangers of pride? After a season of suffering, are we able, like Nebuchadnezzar, to bless the Most High and praise and honor Him who lives forever? For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Is that our response in suffering? Saying, God, you are God, and I am a mere human being. I need to be humble before you, because for me to be proud is for me to question your divinity. It's for me to dethrone you. It's for me to live like no human being is designed to live. Or do we return after a period of suffering to define God and living in our inhuman pride? Now, all of us have stories. God has taken all of us through difficult times in life. And how we respond to that determines whether you are truly human or whether you would rather live like an animal. These are hard questions. I mean, I, these are not solved in a course of one sermon. But we have to wrestle with that. We have to be honest in our own hearts. We need to teach our children how to suffer, what it means to be truly human, and who God is really is. Now, of course, it's not just humiliation and suffering alone that cure our pride. For example, many people, and you know people like that, go through pain and come out bitter on the other end, their pride intact. What makes the real difference, it's not just going through pain and suffering, but going through pain and suffering with God present there. It's God's presence in your suffering, God's presence as you wrestle with pride, as you're being humiliated, it's God's presence right there that changes us. In the summer of uh, 2010, 33 Chilean miners, you may remember that story, it was a big news around the world, 33 Chilean miners were trapped 2,300 feet underground for 69 days until they were rescued. Now, if you're like me, this is a nightmare scenario, to be in a tight place underground with no way to get out. I mean, this it's just incredible to even think about the emotional suffering, not just the, the physical suffering they went through. Now, praise God, all of them were rescued. Now, it took two months, but all of them were rescued. All 33 survived miraculously. And what's interesting is that when they got out, 
they were all attributing their survival to the 34th minor. Weird thing. They were saying, we know there were 33 of us, but we felt the presence of the 34th minor. They were saying there was somebody there with us. There was another that was suffering with us. There was another there that was helping us. And of course, they attributed that presence to God himself. They claimed, read those stories, read those news stories from secular outlets that talk about these interviews. And they're saying, the reason we survived is because God was with us in the mine. He was with us, suffering with us. His presence is what changed us. I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar also sensed the presence of another in his animal-like affliction. Nebuchadnezzar was finally able to look up to heaven because I think God came down to him and met him in his beastly pride. Nebuchadnezzar was finally able to acknowledge that heaven rules because heaven came down to earth and met him by grace. That's what makes the difference. When you suffer, you meet God there. And that changes you. God changes you by grace. Now, Jesus Christ is God who became a man. We talked about Daniel as a man who lived as a man in true humanity. Nebuchadnezzar who wanted to live like God in his pride. But there's another man. God himself, Jesus Christ, who became a man. The king of the universe decided to be humbled for our sakes. This is what makes the difference for us. Philippians 2 says, Though he was in the form of God, he was God himself, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to his benefits, to the privileges of being divine. But he emptied himself. He emptied himself for us. But taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is who meets us in our suffering. This is who is patient with us. This is who will do everything he can to expose our pride and to humble us so he could heal us. This is the one. The one who took on humanity on himself. Because what is unassumed is unhealed. See, Jesus had to become human so he can heal our humanity. But not only, hear this, not only did God become a man, he was treated like an animal for our sakes. Isaiah 53 says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. God became a man that was lowered to an animal state so that he could save us from our pride. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. God became man to die for the people who wanted to become God. There is humility that comes from being humiliated. But there is a much deeper and more healing and more life-giving humility that comes from knowing that God was willing to be humiliated to save me from my pride. 
This is a different kind of humility. This is a lasting humility. This is a humility that can change you and make you into a new person. We talk about faith a lot in the church. This is how you meet God. This is how you live with God. You walk by faith. But what is faith but humility of recognizing who you are and who God is and what he has done for you in Christ? Do you know Jesus? Have you been humbled by him? Have you recognized that he humbled himself so you can be finally rid of your pride? Somebody said that the cross cuts us down to size. The cross actually makes us who we're supposed to be. It shows us our humanity. It rids us of our pride. It convinces us that we are not God, but that we have a God who loves us. Has it happened to you? Have you been cut down to size by the cross of Christ, the God who became a man for you?